Welcome to show 54 of the C-Suite podcast, the first of three shows that we're recording in partnership with Microsoft from their Future Decoded event in Excel London, where on each of its two days, around 14,000 of the brightest decision makers, developers, and IT professionals are here for inspirational talks, hands-on workshops, and an interactive partner area. Through discussions around digital transformation, artificial intelligence, cloud for good, and digital skills, Microsoft is presenting an inspired vision of the digital business of tomorrow, and uh, we'll be giving you a little taster of what's hot on the agenda this year. My name is Russell Goldsmith and I'm going to be catching up with a few of the speakers and delegates here and I'm thrilled to kick off this episode with Claire Barkley, Microsoft's UK Chief Operating Officer. Claire was one of the keynote speakers opening the conference talking about how to create a culture of digital transformation, which is the theme we're focusing on during this episode. So welcome to the podcast, Claire. Hi. Uh, Now, being out in the expo, it is absolutely buzzing there. You must be really thrilled with the turnout today. Yeah, this is the fourth Future Decoded that we've run. And we set out with an ambition to kind of help customers navigate times of change. Um, And so to see the turnout this week has been unbelievable. Fantastic. There's massive buzz down on the expo floor. It is so loud down there. Um, Now, um, you were on the main stage launching a new report from Microsoft titled Creating a Culture of Digital Transformation. Uh, Do you want to give us a quick overview about what the report is about? Yeah, a year ago, we launched a report on findings of our companies being digitally transformed. And, you know, guess what? The results showed that there was massive disruption happening across all industries. But in the last 12 months, the main thing I've heard from customers is as well as technology change, they're struggling with the cultural and people aspects of digitally transforming their business. So we focus this report on helping organizations understand how to overcome some of the cultural uh, challenges that they may face with with embedding any form of technology change. Um, And so the the, the report focuses in on how to help organizations um, deal with some of the fear, anxiety that employees may face with change and some practical steps for how to go about dealing with that. Well, I'll, I'll come on to ask you about some of those those practical steps in a second. But I was, I was actually fortunate to uh, get a sneak preview of the uh, report. So I have read it. Um, and one of the findings that stands out, um, and this was from Cindy Rose, your UK CEO and area vice president, um, and she highlighted it in her forwards. Um, and it said 53% of the UK business and IT leaders that uh, were actually surveyed in the report said their industries will face significant digital disruption uh, within the next two years. Yet 50 7% have no formal uh, digital transformation strategy in place. And in fact, many are struggling to capitalize on investments they've already made on technology to improve their business effectiveness. So apologies, long sort of like quote out of that report, but that's not going to make good reading for you know their sh- shareholders and the, and the boards, is it? Yeah, I mean, I think some of the findings from the report, as you said, show that there's work to be done. And I think, you know, the, the findings also show that if we don't deal with this, the effectiveness and competitiveness of UK businesses is at risk. Um, and actually, I think when you deal, delve deeper into the findings, some of the barriers to that is all about cultural, cultural and people. So a couple of stats from the report. I mean, 61% of leaders um, are worried about employees' fear and anxiety when it comes to change in roles and tasks, which is a pretty scary statistic. Yeah. So I think that's one of the aspects. It's not just the technical side of it and what, does, what will technology do for them, but it's about how they're going to implement it and how they're going to be able to change their business to evolve in a new uh, modern workplace. Having gone through uh, the, the, the report now, are there any other um, sort of key challenges that you found businesses uh, you know, are facing ar- around digital transformation? Yeah, I mean, I think the, um, the aspect of um, employee fear and anxiety, I think, is centred around, you know, you, re- you watch the industry news, you watch the TV, there's a lot of scare stories um, around about robots replacing people in jobs, etc., um, and yet, in those instances, so it's critical that we kind of think about how we're going to show um, organisations the value of technolo- uh, technology change. Because to your point, 50% of organisations are doing nothing about mm. this. Um, and so in a, in a world that's being significantly disrupted... What do you do? Do you sit there and do nothing because you're afraid of change or do you embrace it and lean forward into that change and think about how to evolve? So I think for organisations that don't remain competitive, um, it's a real concern in terms of the level of new entrants that are coming into certain industries, etc. And you don't want to be the next blockbusters um, uh, of your industry. Sure. And so I guess the, you know, the findings of the report are supposed to be practical steps um, to really just say, how do you help employees come o- um, overcome fear? 
here? How do you make sure that they're embracing te technology in the right way? And how do we make sure that we're also encouraging organizations to reskill people where jobs may be changed uh, due to technology innovation? Yeah, just picking up on that on that whole thing about embracing change. I mean, you, you've had over 20 years um, in the IT industry yourself. W would you say that the speed of change is happening faster now than it's ever done? Yeah, I mean, I think if you go back over, um, over 20 years, I mean, the technology industry in particular is one that's not, um, you know, not shy of change. There's been lots of change um, uh, throughout time. But I, I would say, from my experience, it's the pace of change and how quickly, um, you know, change is happening, uh, whether that be, um, you know, change in public sector services, change in media services. And having spoken to many organizations here today, everybody's got their example of digital disruption going on in their particular industry. So, but it's not like it changes once and then a company is trying to deal with that change. I think it, for any leader, it's the it's the rapidity of change over and over and over again um, that's taking place that I think is quite hard as a business leader to deal with uh, when you make a decision and then you have to try and think about bringing your organization with you and how you're going to go about implementing that. And again, that's kind of why we really focused in on this aspect in the report that we yeah. announced this week. Okay. Um, and so going back to the report, within, within each of the sections, there's box outs that list, you know, ways to embrace fear, to demonstrate value, to respect your ecosystem, and there's and there's a few others there as well. I just wanted to ask, what are the first steps organisations need to take on their digital transformation journey? Yeah, I mean, there are, as you say, some very practical steps, and we've tried to focus on the practical side of the report, yeah. so it's not just interesting from a data standpoint. They seem really straightforward, some of the guidance we give, um, but sometimes it's the simple things that are, that, that, are, that are most effective. So number one is have a plan. Um, and be really clear about what your reasons for change are. I think one of the things that causes fear and anxiety with people is they don't know why it's changing and what it's changing for and what the benefits are. Um, second one is really focus on communication um, and how you tailor that communication. So one of the findings in the report showed that the needs for communicating to 18 to 24-year-olds was very different, for example, to the 55-year-olds plus, um, who, by the way, dealt with change much better than the younger people, <laughs> as an aside. Um, so thinking about communications and how you go about communicating um, throughout your organization is really critical. Don't just do it once, keep it going um, and tailor your method for how you're doing that. Um, and then the third one is just thinking about both innovators and change agents within your organization um, and how you're bringing them along to kind of galvanize that change uh, message uh, throughout your organization. Um, and then finally, um, give employees an opportunity to experiment and give feedback and make sure you take action on that feedback. The naysayers won't let you get away with not making any changes to the strategy that you're implementing and it shows that you're really taking the employee feedback to heart. So those are some of three of the practical steps for how to go about um, driving cultural change as part of any digital transformation plan. That's fantastic. Some great advice there. So final question then. If our listeners want to get hold of a copy of the new report, where can they go? Yeah, so if you visit futuredecoded.com. Claire Barkley, uh, Microsoft UK COO. Thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks. So we've now moved down to the uh, main expo floor, which is why it's so much louder than it, uh, it was just a second ago. So I'm now joined by Ian McLaren, who is Finance and Contracts Director at London Midland, one of the uh, big four UK train operating companies and an organisation that was featured as a case study in the uh, Creating a Culture of Digital Transformation report that we were just talking about. So thanks very much for joining us, Ian. Yeah, good afternoon. Uh, now, um, in, that, in that case study uh, that was in the report, it, it says that back in 2014, uh, London Midland had made cumulative losses of 7 million, um, but the business has been transformed into one that's now looking at uh, to exceed 24 million in profit. So that's quite a massive turnaround. I was just wondering how you sort of might manage to achieve all that. Um, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, so I guess overall, the way we've actually achieved this is through engaging with our um, staff first and foremost. Um, I, I joined the business three years ago, and I suppose like any new staff member, um, needed to understand you know what the uh, benefits of, of being in the business were, what the strategy was, and where I could uh, dig out information about uh, performance and what we were doing. And uh, I suppose back three years ago, I, I went and had a look at our intranet and uh, discovered it was the equivalent of the dusty bookshelf. Right. Uh, lots of um, uh, multiple versions of the same document. Um, so off the back of that, we came up with the mantra, one version of the truth, and uh, to enable our staff to really understand what we were uh, trying to achieve as a business. And um, I suppose that's when our digital journey or digital transformation actually 
started. So uh, the, the business case I developed was uh, one of uh, replacing our legacy intranet uh, with um, an intranet built on uh, SharePoint Online. Right, okay. Um, and um, yeah, that, that was interesting because I went to the exec and said, actually, I want to replace the intranet. I didn't go to the exec uh, saying that I was going to roll out Office 365. And I think if I'd gone, gone to them uh, with, with, with that ambition, they would have said, Ian, you haven't got a chance. Um, that's far too ambitious uh, for where we are in, in, in our journey. Uh, let's con concentrate on the basics. So uh, yeah, I, I guess I um, under-promised and over-delivered because we had a very successful uh, rollout of Office 365, um, which delivered the, um, uh, the new internet, which yeah. was a lot more engaging, had a lot more information for people to delve down into and cre started creating this one version of the truth. Uh, but it actually positioned the business um, uh, a lot more in terms of stating our technology am uh, ambitions. Um, because having rolled out a new intranet, suddenly we had this plethora of um, comms channels. So we, we switched on Yammer, uh, we had Skype for Business, right. everybody in the business got issued with uh, an email account, etc. So we went from 800 people who used to have to log into our network uh, to having 2,500 people who could access the one version of the truth via, uh, via the intranet. Yeah. And and that's given us a, a, a massive step, step change in engagement across the business. And we obviously measure engagement uh, as a company. And it's gone from uh, less than 50% people responding to the survey three years ago to 76% uh, this year responding to the survey with an engagement score of 75%. That's, well, I was, I was going to ask you in terms of, did you, you know, did you see a natural change in the way that people you know, were working together with all these new tools in terms of collaboration? Or, or was there you know, a process that you had to go through? Uh, I, I guess the process was, so, so having delivered the, um, the new intranet in Office 365, that was, uh, I guess, the first phase of a three-stage product uh, project. So uh, our project uh, had the mantra, connect, share, and grow. Uh, Connect was all around creating the infrastructure in the form of Office 365 deployment. Uh, the share uh, element came from rolling out a huge number of um, devices and training to all staff. So uh, we replaced our legacy BlackBerry um, uh, devices with uh, Windows 10 devices. Um, and uh, we use Microsoft Intune to control what people can get access to. So again, one version of the truth and making sure that there's a consistent approach across the business. And then we had uh, 250 tablets, again, Windows 10, uh, that enable people to access the information. So that was the, the share element. And uh, I guess along the way, we also deployed Surface Hubs, and uh, that's when the magic really started to happen for us was uh, these screens where, which became the virtual water cooler for the, uh, for the business, yeah. where people used to gather around and just drill into information that previously they hadn't seen or didn't have access to. One, one of the things, though, that I wanted to, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's a key focus of the report and a lot that we're talking through these, these various different podcasts is that, you know, putting the technology in is one thing, but it's changing the culture of the business to adapt to that, you know, how have you achieved that at, at London Midland? Um, well, I guess so. With with, with the replacement of BlackBerry's, we got rid of um, BlackBerry Messenger, and we actually deployed Yammer across the business. And uh, with Yammer, we started this real honest conversation with people. It's it's very unstructured. Um, there there was a bit of. Uh, I guess trepidation and fear to start off with that we were going to start getting ridiculous questions and people will be disciplined for that. But uh, people have embraced it. Uh, we're listening. Um, it's there for people to review and, and search. And suddenly that's given us, um, probably as an exec team, a lot more trust and belief in, in both directions and a lot more engagement with, with people. So uh, it's probably made us a lot more accessible, uh, a lot more visible. And, and you know, our, our views and opinions probably probably heard uh, you know, across across the piece, so it's actually been quite interesting in that respect. Well, one of the things that I, I picked up actually on in, in the case study was that the average age of the rail industry is 48. Um, so I'd be intrigued to just to well, first of all, see a breakdown of all industries actually, and, and see how it compares. But do you think that age is is you know a big hindrance to, to businesses you know looking to adapt new technologies or, or not? Um, I, 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 
Very much so. So uh, London Midland Labs, um, so, so our, our uh, innovation labs, uh, we actually sponsored TEDx in, in Birmingham uh, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the, uh, the well, the theme for TEDx in Birmingham was a, a gaining a different perspective. And some of the information that came out of that were it was some staggering statistics that you know in, in Birmingham, um, 52% of the population are under the age of 35. Um, 52% of the population are women, but that's not represented in the industry that I work in. It's certainly not represented in the sort of tech companies that, that, that we're seeing coming through into the labs. So the other thing that, that uh, I thought was re really interesting was that once you get to the age of 40, um, you actually, um, uh, there's, a, there's a concept called the echo chamber, which is uh, something around you, you, uh, where by you get to the age of 40 and, and, and your uh, social group are also age 14, that's who you're sharing your ideas with. So um, I did a keynote speak, speech at our last um, labs demo day and it was all around making sure you got a different perspective by talking to younger people and actually engaging with them and actually listening to uh, different people's views. So as a business, the way we've approached that is whilst we've got an aging population specifically in the fleet teams uh, we've also approached um, uh, Princess Trust so we've got a number of Princess Trust uh, uh, people coming in but also we've got a, a big apprenticeship program and what's been uh, really interesting to see and quite quite magical is where the fleet engineers the older guys uh, are, are teaching the younger guys about you know the the, the, the problems of rolling stock and, and specific problems on, on on the train, and the younger guys are actually teaching the older guys how to use technology that Brilliant. we've deployed across the business. So yeah. it, it's really nice to see that I, I guess as we've rolled out and been on our digital transformation, people are uh, becoming more trusting of the technology and actually embracing it surprisingly Excellent. quickly. Um, over the three-year period, we did stop for six months and, and allow people to catch up. Uh, we continually review um, personas to actually understand how people are using the technology, and as technology is moving more rapidly, actually understanding how we can, how we need to change what we've deployed or or what's now more available. So yeah, uh, yeah lots of different things Good stuff. we've done. All right, well, um, let's just uh, finish off. If, if you had one bit of advice uh, to those uh, listeners who are in a similar role or, or industry uh, to you, and they're still procrast procrastinating, I can never say that word, um, over digital uh, sort of transformation, what would that be? What would you say to them? Uh, stop procrastinating, get on and do it. Um, I, I, I really do believe that you need to get a, a different perspective. Yeah. Um, you need to be able to listen um, you know don't don't pay lip service to it really create uh, an environment where uh, your voice can be heard but also you're li actively listening to to what people have to say about how they're using technology and get a different perspective you know talk to some startups you know talk to people outside of the industry I think the biggest changes we're seeing in the rail industry is by employing people from financial services um, the arts um, just who come come along with a completely different approach. Yeah. But it's good to have that in combination with people who've got deep-seated knowledge in rail. Brilliant. Okay, well, excellent. Uh, Ian McLaren of London Midland, thanks for taking the time to chat. Thank you very much. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csuitepodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to the show in iTunes by searching for the C-Suite Podcast in the iTunes store. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. You're listening to the Microsoft Future Decoded podcast with me, Russell Goldsmith. And as we continue on this theme of creating a culture of digital transformation, the next area we're going to focus on is how you give access to this digital revolution to first line workers. Basically, those people who, um, as I understand, make up around 80% of the global workforce. So that's around 2 billion people. Uh, now, Andrew Cook is one of Microsoft's senior product marketing managers who has responsibility for the uh, first line area. And he's made the trip to Future Decoded from Redmond, just east of Seattle, to uh, tell us a little bit more about this area. And along Alongside Andrew, we have Hector Minto, Microsoft's accessibility evangelist for the EMEA region. So welcome to you both. Um, now, Andrew, it's pretty obvious just how many touch points Microsoft has with those people typically using your business products. So I'm just thinking of myself uh, for a second. I use 365. Um, all my work is saved in the cloud in OneDrive. I use LinkedIn to connect with all my contacts. I spend a load of my time on Skype. I'm like a walking advert for you here at the moment. Um, but basically, I, I'm relying on you guys to get me through most of my working day. But what we're focusing on here are the likes of um, people like shop assistants, ground crews, 
factory employees, truck drivers, people working at large construction sites, all those people not typically at a desk, let's say, but also in, in many cases that the people who are closest to the business's uh, customers. So how is Microsoft enabling them to be part of this whole digital revolution? Thanks, Russell. Yeah, you, firstly, thank you for being a customer. Uh, <laughs> Secondly, you, you hit on a really important point, which is that uh, these are the people who are closest to the customer. They often are what represents a brand or an experience to a customer. And there's a short moment of time that these folks have to create that brand or that experience. And, and we know that in today's social uh, world, negative experience, uh, they get amplified very, very quickly. So yeah, really critical interface. So how are we helping them? Well, we like to think of it in about five different ways that we're, we're helping them. Firstly, it's around sort of fostering community and culture. And you may not know this, but uh, a lot of those first line workers feel uh, disenfranchised or disengaged with the company and their corporate mission. And so that, that causes problems. And a lot of folks do recognize this and they're trying to figure out how to address that so that that flows through into that customer and brand experience. The second thing that they're trying to do is figure out how can they in a scalable and flexible way do the training and upskilling of these workers to make sure that, uh, and retail is a great example here, if a customer comes in, do you know the product? Are you able to assist them? Are you able to add a different experience than what you get by going on Amazon? And so it's really important to find a way that you can do that that's super flexible and is accessible to them through things like mobile devices. So that's the second area that we're helping folks with. The third area is around digitizing business process. Uh, and I was just walking down the halls here and somebody gave a great example of a construction site. How do you know that the workers actually showed up at the construction site and did the job so you can bill them out? Well, very simply, if you have a, 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 an app and from that using something like uh, Power Apps and Flow, you can do a, a check-in, check-out, you know, sign-in, sign-off type thing yeah. using the GPS to validate that, hey, somebody was there on the job. So we help folks with that a lot. Then we think about minimizing risk and cost. Another area very critical with the first-line uh, workforce is the cost. You know, the the typical wages that we see paid there are fairly low and so folks tend to look at what can I do to minimize that cost but it goes further than just the wages. These are uh, people that may not be as comfortable with technology as the person who's working with it at a desktop or a laptop computer all day every day. So you want to minimize the amount of and number of support calls that come into your help desk. So a self-resetting password, simple example, right, of doing that. Um, being able to deploy, uh, you know, if you choose Windows, Windows S, having that really quick deployment experience without the clutter and just the approved apps on it. So those are areas that uh, they look at there. And then the, um, the last area is how do you, you, how do you harness the expertise and knowledge that sits within that workforce? They have a great deal of experiences with the customers that they can communicate to people, but it's not always easy to gather that. And I talked to somebody on a plane. I flew over here and uh, I was sitting next to somebody who used to work at uh, cruise lines and now is an aircraft uh, flight attendant. And she told me this great story. So I'm going to tell you the story. It has a bit of an accessibility slant. This so is an exclusive, I guess. Then, this is an exclusive, yeah. yes. So what she talked to me about was uh, you know, she asked me what I was doing here and I told her and she's like, well, I told her I was interested in the accessibility and she said, well, I got a brother who's autistic, severely autistic. I'm like, okay. And then she said, I've got a cousin who's got Asperger's and that's a problem there. Then I've got another cousin who's deaf and she proceeded to tell me what that achieved. And then she relayed a story from being on a cruise ship. She was in retail there and uh, what she was doing was serving somebody who came up who basically had no, no hands and probably short arms, basically no arms. And she turned to the person and she said, how would you like to sign for what you're buying? All right, you have to sign for everything. Right. And the, the lady looked at her and said, if you just put the pen in my toes, I'll be, be right. Beautiful handwriting, signed, no problem. So then she went up to a friend of hers in another retail store 
And she relayed this experience and said, have you met this lady, the one with no arms? Yeah, 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 I have. Well, let me tell you what I did. I, I asked her how she wanted to sign, and her handwriting with her toes was beautiful. What do you, how do you get her to sign? Oh, you know, I didn't bother. I just figured she couldn't. And that's a problem. That's this assumption that somebody can't do something and you don't give them the opportunity. Now, let's take that back to technology. How do you spread that out through the cruise ship or the retail store or your organization? That story, so it changes the perspective of other workers. And they go, you know what, maybe I should just ask before I assume. Now, something like Yammer is a great example of a social tool that allows you to do that. But um, that's what we talk about, crowdsourcing, getting these great ideas and sharing sure. them. That, that, that's really interesting, actually, because one, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you, I was reading some of the information from your website ahead of this, this chat, obviously, and, and one of the benefits that stood out for me was about, you know, as you just mentioned there, crowdsourcing you know, new ideas and solutions, because being instantly able to tap into those, those ideas of those people, as, as we're talking about, on the front line. So like, like that example that you've just given me, you know, that, that girl there is, is, is experiencing that on the front line, and she can then relay that, yep. that back to you know, the, the head office that aren't necessarily seeing that kind of interaction. Exactly. On, on, a, on a daily basis. Um, Hector, let, let's, let's bring you in here. From an accessibility point of view, I'm, I'm guessing some of these tools can really make a difference to, to a lot of people's work as, as, as we're talking here. Yeah, and I mean, let's just start by saying that, that disability is not a niche topic. Yeah, there are over a billion people on the planet with a disability. So these are not, not only the, the, the employees uh, of companies around the world, but they're the customers, you know, and so, so you know, we know that people with disabilities are the customers of all of the all of the businesses that we work with. But what we've got to do is make it easier for uh, for the for the companies to deliver accessible experiences for the customer. How better how best to do that than actually have employees with disabilities at the front line, making their workplace accessible. So so when we think about the the the, the experiences of people with disabilities in the workplace, many let's say with learning disabilities, uh, will find themselves in these first-line jobs. But they won't live a digital experience. More than, more than ever before, to, to live successful lives with a disability, technology is going to play a role. And so, so Microsoft, when we talked about, say, Windows S earlier, the sort of the lower-cost devices, they've got to have great built-in accessible experiences. We've got to find ways to deliver information that works really well for somebody who's colorblind or somebody who has low vision or somebody who doesn't have English as a first language. These are all situation or, or permanent disabilities that, that both customers and, uh, you know, and employees have. The other big issue here is the, is the recruitment of people with disabilities. If people don't understand the lived experience of somebody, somebody with a disability, either as a customer or as an employee, it's really easy to kind of make decisions on their behalf. So maybe don't give them a job because you assume they can't access the email. Or maybe don't give them a job because you assume that their English isn't good enough to, uh, to work in that environment. We're moving into an era where technology has to play a role in, in removing those perceived barriers in the recruitment process. Uh, and, and really that's, that's what I'm so excited about with the First Line project. There's definitely a higher number of people with disabilities in First Line jobs than in executive jobs. Yeah. yeah. yeah? And with that being the case, one of the, one of the ways that we can solve the disability employment gap globally is through something like First Line. And maybe somebody's first experience of uh, a website that reads to you, or maybe somebody's first experience of translating English into Urdu or English into Bangla uh, will come in that job once digital tools are put in the hands of employees with disabilities. That will have a major impact on their, their life at home. The other thing is that the employees who know somebody with a disability, so Andrew puts it absolutely perfectly, if you don't have a disability, you know somebody with a disability. And if we're seeing accessible experiences and tools which promote great accessibility in the workplace, you will take that home and, and influence friends, families, yeah. schools, education, which in turn in the next generation will mean that people are turning up for job interviews going, hey, just give me translator. Or hey, just give me a, give me an immersive reader. So I'm dyslexic. Just give me just give me an immersive reader built into Office. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're going to turn up at work asking for the solution and not just uh, you know waiting for somebody to give it to them. Sure, um, Andrew, can can you give us some examples of, of how all the stuff you're doing with with First Line is, is benefiting uh, different sectors? Sure. Um, you know, let's 
I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background here. We did a couple of studies recently, one with Gartner and one with Forrester. And uh, the one with Forrester was what they call a TEI, or Total Economic Impact Study. And you know, they end up with a composite organization of 300 people, and they looked at what the gains were of enabling the first-line workforce. And I'll give you one, one that stuck in my mind was it returns about 28 minutes a day to the first-line worker. 28 minutes. So you sit down, and I was on a long flight, I did some of the math, yeah, that's almost a month. It's just a little bit under a month that you're returning in productivity time to the first-line worker. Now, let's look at a couple of specific examples. So, um, Accor Hotels, that's a, a European, they're based out of France, the European hotel chain. They, they own a lot of other sub-brands. But Accor has a huge number of uh, workers who are first-line workers whose responsibility is serving the guests, etc., but they had a real challenge. They had a challenge. We talked about the community and the, the, the culture. So they had a, a, a challenge with that. They also needed to find a way for people to understand where they should be and what they should be doing. So the sort of classic, you know, where, when, and what. And so what they did was they used Staff Hub, which is a, a purpose-built application for the first-line workforce. And think of that. You and I may use Outlook right, to do a lot of things. Staff Hub is the application a first-line worker would do. So that gave them access to training through this single application. It gave them access to schedules. They could just go and ask for a schedule. It goes through the manager who approves it. Um, really simple, quick, easy things to do. They get the videos of the, um, you know, the CEO giving the little rah-rah speech to everybody. They got that all through that, uh, through that application. Now, contrast with the experience, this, uh, I had a big conversation with this lady on the plane, but the experience, I asked her, you know, so what do you do with shifts? And she's like, well, you know, firstly, I never know who I'm working with until I get into the, uh, the prep room. So, okay, that's a bit of a problem. Secondly, when I ask for a shift, I have, she has to go through sort of chains of management to get the request put in, right? Okay, so that's taking time. She can't just yeah. do it on the cab ride back home or something like that. So, like, well, okay, so I think we've got a solution. And that's what a core is doing. Another great example, and I, and I love this example, is Lowe's. Lowe's in the U.S. is a, a, a DIY store. You know, do it yourself. So you go get your furnishings and your taps and all that sort of stuff. So Lowe's understands quite rightly that they're under a lot of competitive pressure, both from Home Depot in the U.S. as well as Amazon. So they need to create an experience and a reason for customers to come in and go to Lowe's. They have staff there that have a certain amount of knowledge, but what they found was they didn't have good communication and collaboration across all of the people involved in creating those customer moments. So they took some steps with Office 365, they got everything onto a common platform so that if people are editing a document, they can work with the people who are consuming the document, same document. They worked uh, on bringing their communications through uh, Yammer and instant messaging so that people could easily access uh, experts. If they didn't know the answer, it was super quick for them to get an answer for the customer while they were right there in front of them. And yeah, that's a retail buying moment right there. If you can't answer the question, They've moved on. Yeah. But the really interesting thing to differentiate the experience was they've brought in HoloLens. And they're starting to use HoloLens to help people envision the design of a kitchen, you know, putting different, um, different appliances in it, how will it look. You know, the neat thing about that, aside from it's differentiating them from their competition, is think about what it's doing for those first-line workers. We talk about this digital divide. Mm. They are, maybe without knowing it, they are upskilling all of these workers and narrowing that digital divide and preparing these folks for future job steps wherever they want to go. They're not leaving them behind as just somebody who can run a, a cash register. So I think that's a wonderful example of uh, what we're doing with the first line. Excellent. I love that conversation around signposting, around dig digital technology. You know, it... At the moment, many people with disabilities in the workplace are not given any access to tech at all. And as I say, if they, if they are given some early skills in Office, in Windows, 
on the apps on their phone that you know things like the translator app things like the uh, office lens where they can have a document read out to them with highlighting just by taking a photograph of it you know if that is the experience they're given where they can realize actually tech is consumable to me as a person with a disability then you open their eyes up to kind of what's you know possible job routes that you know they might get a passion for tech and then you know want to learn more you know that there is there's definitely goodness yeah, there definitely yeah i think so you know you can think about people who who don't get an opportunity to advance because they have a reading disability. So it takes them a little while to read it. Hmm. Uh, maybe it's a little tough for them to get the instructions right in the right order. And that Office Lens is a great example of how you bridge that for them. And now they have the opportunity. They're not written off as somebody who just takes a little bit longer and sometimes get it wrong. Yeah. You know, they're, they're enabled to be their, everything that they can be, right, to reach their full potential. So I think it's a wonderful example. Excellent. Um, Microsoft recently carried out a survey of, of working adults in Australia um, that showed that 61% of first-line workers feel excluded from digital transformation initiatives, saying they don't uh, yet have an active and participatory uh, role in how these technologies are developed. I just want to finish off uh, this bit of the podcast just to get both your thoughts uh, based on, on your experience of, of working in this area, obviously, of how advanced businesses are, not necessarily in making that the technolo uh, technological uh, shift, but in making the cultural change uh, to involve first-line workers in their digital transformation. And what would your advice be to those businesses, like you know, like the ones, those first-line uh, workers in Australia who responded to the survey, where there seems to be this disconnect between you know those in the planning processes and those in, in the front line. Hector, let's, let's come to you first on this one. Ooh. <laughs> you really tough, want to come to me first? Tough one to finish on. <laughs> what would I do? I, honestly, I think look to education. So, so if you think of, from my perspective, you know, looking at it from that kind of disability lens. You know, the workplace doesn't have to include people with disabilities. You know, the, you know that, that's a choice that companies make. They've got to see the benefits of it. You know, we've got to find ways to demonstrate the benefits to, of it. But schools have a duty of care, a duty of education. And the way that schools are embracing accessible technology and realising the benefits are realised by those that don't have disabilities just as much as those that have diagnosed, listed disabilities is incredible. So, so, so an example might be something like our immersive reader that we're talking about. You know, how many, how many, how many teachers would look at that and go, God, I've got a kid who's struggling to read. I need to present tech to them in a in a in a in a way that's personal and accessible for them. Okay, that helps with the child who's dyslexic. But that teacher is then looking at somebody who maybe doesn't have English as a first language and going, oh, it's exactly the same tool. It's exactly the same tool that I use for them as it is for the person with the disability. So, so. And once, once the schools recognise that including kids with disabilities has, has wider benefits and wider cultural impact, uh, I think that will then live through in, into businesses. I'm looking forward to that generation of kids who, who, who leave education, who've used technology to kind of level the playing field on their, on their disability, finding their way into employment. Yeah, so I think the advice for companies of today is to you know, look to what's happening to the kids coming through. Look yeah. at their did lived digital experience. Yeah, for them it will be the norm as they go into business. 100%. I mean, yeah. they're gonna, I, what I love and what I, what I wish for one day is that somebody with a disability turns up at an interview and says, I know how to make my email accessible. And, and does the and, and fills in the gaps for the employer yeah. rather than rather than letting somebody kind of make preconceptions on their on their behalf. Sure, uh, Andrew, uh, you can have the final word on this one. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Usually, don't get the final word at home, so this is a real <laughs> opportunity. So, I, I would say, you know, the first thing I, I would say is you're quite right. A lot of them don't feel that engaged in it. On the flip side, the Gartner study that we did showed that about 78, 80 percent of organisations recognize that it's critical to their future to digitally enable their first-line workers. They really get it. And it, you know, it's one of those pillars of um, digital transformation, or the two pillars are empowering the, the, the customers and enabling the workforce. And those two reside together. You know, in terms of advice, it's got to start at the top. It has to come top down. And uh, often that comes with a, uh, a change of, it could be a change of CIO, it could be somebody new into HR who comes in, has seen what uh, can be done for these folks and really wants to make it happen. Um, you know, a, a guy 
once told me is like hydrate or die. Well, digital transformation is the water, right, of your future success. So I would say hydrate or die because your competitors are, if you're not doing this, your competitors are. Um, your customers, they, they have different expectations. So if you're not meeting their needs, your competitors are. So get engaged with it. Um, I think, yeah, I, I talked to a bloke down here at London Midland Railway. In 14 months, these guys have absolutely transformed what they do. They started off, they said, you know what? We don't communicate. They gave everybody from the cleaner on up to the CEO, everybody's got an email account so they can communicate. They put things like surface hubs in every station, they have like 26 stations. So that when there's an incident, they've got a big screen there and everybody can join in through Skype and so on and collaborate together. They've got Yammer. And I asked him, so what's impact has that had? He said, our first line workers have a voice. They finally have a voice and a way to communicate with everybody else. So, yeah, hydrate or die. <laughs> nice message to finish. Uh, Andrew Cook and Hector Minto, uh, thanks for joining the show. It's harder than ever to keep track of everything being said in news and social media. It's even more difficult to gain actionable insights that will improve your reputation and results. Karma provides global media intelligence services to help you communicate more effectively. From automated media monitoring to expertly crafted PR measurement reports, Karma delivers what matters. For more information or to schedule a free consultation, please visit karma.com. That's C-A-R-M-A dot com. So to finish off this particular episode of these Future Decoded podcasts, we have another organization who are currently on their digital transformation journey, and that's the global media group Dentsu Aegis Network. And so joining me from the company is their Office 365 product owner, Patience Wooten. Patience. Perhaps we can start uh, by maybe you just giving us an overview of the size of your business and the challenges you therefore face trying to turn everything digital. Absolutely. So Dental Aegis Network is uh, around 40,000 people. Uh, we're across 24 different time zones, massive spread. And what we find is that we're very acquisition-led. So since 2013, we've actually acquired over 100 different companies. Um, with that comes a lot of challenges, uh, geographically, processes, technology, um, and doing a digital transformation is, is it's a real challenge at times, but it's incredibly exciting as well. So, yeah, that's um, quite a significant uh, M and A uh, growth rate in in, in the group. Um, how do you use the technology, so things like Microsoft Teams, for example, to enable that that whole journey? So, I, I think with acquisitions, it's it's a challenge because you're always going to get some resistance for change. Uh, and you, you often hear in any company uh, acquired or, or merging uh, that we used to have this or we used to have that. And I think one of the things that we're noticing with Microsoft Teams is that we can now have a conversation. It's not necessarily, this is our way or the highway. It's a case of, okay, well, what do you do today? That's, as a team, that's what we try and ask. What do you do today? What other challenges are you, are you facing then? So it might be a case of uh, a company might be on just first release from Microsoft where things get dropped and they have all the apps straight away. Yeah. And that's not our own setup. What we do is uh, we, we move from first release into what we call an alpha. So it's a bit more controlled. Um, but some people might be on a completely different environment. Uh, one of the things which Microsoft don't do today is tenant to tenant migration. Uh, it's not a dig at Microsoft. It's uh, just one of those things. So, so Microsoft Teams has provided a sort of a happy medium for us um, where you, you can have a conversation and say, okay, well, we can actually collaborate from day dot. So if, if we don't have external sharing enabled, do you? And now, now you're having a conversation, it's not resistance. Mm. And I think for us, it, it feels a bit more like a, a mature decision, a mature conversation, and perhaps maturity in the stack as well. So I know you don't have a, a huge team working with you, um, but perhaps you know, for those listeners who are at the start of their digital transformation journey, who are you know, a bit daunted by it, or maybe you could just give us a bit of background as to how you roll out those changes across the group business. Yeah, I think we've, we've certainly learned as we've gone on. Uh, we're, we're a very small, small team. Uh, it's myself and my tech lead, Sean Scanlon and then various others who have uh, a smaller team elsewhere. Exchange Online obviously has its own team. Uh, Skype for Business is obviously on-prem at this time, but 
will probably emerge as well later on. What we find is with these applications, if we try and control them too tightly or the, or the features that are coming on board, try and turn them off, um, it actually gives you more of a headache than if you just let things move in the natural DevOps or continuous development rollout that it should be. Uh, I think we've definitely learned that as we've gone on as well. I think uh, we try and test the app when it comes into first release or alpha, uh, test it on a Mac, does it work, if it's on a PC, you know, Windows and a mobile device, and then what we do is move it through to a beta as soon as possible, really. Um, the great thing about our beta program is essentially it's, it's early adopters, and anyone in the business can, can request to have access to their app. So what you do is you get some really valuable insight from the business to understand why was it they wanted to use that and, and what is it that perhaps we're missing in our puzzle that they needed. Um, so that's really interesting. And then we do move through to GA as soon as possible. Uh, and what we, we also do is, is try and comes out to business in, in a more interesting way. So success stories or, you know, did you know that you know, we, we've automated this through using these three apps and, and try and entwine the pieces of the puzzle in Office 365 uh, perhaps more than we could have last year when we were talking about what to use when. You know, now we're talking about why don't you use these to help your capabilities or... Uh, and, and we've done that ourselves in Office 365 with our own rollout. So before we used to be very comms heavy. We used to send so many emails uh, and we used to lock everything down. I think we've, we've innovated that as we've gone on. And what we do now is use Flow to automate a lot of the work um, we use forms for the request process. We use teams for you know, technical queries. And, and we've seen a massive response. And, and also, it's helped us to roll out many more applications and, and inform people much quicker. And, and, and so what would you say has been the best part of the technology you're, you're now using? It's, for, for me, it's continuous development that we're seeing in, in Office 365. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I think has given a management a huge headache. Uh, so DevOps, uh, you know, continuous improvement on apps that are in production is, is something terrifying for a lot of people that have perhaps moved over from infrastructure, from that traditional waterfall approach uh, into an agile approach into continuous change. Um, for me, I think that's fantastic. I think um, it lends itself to a curious mind and it keeps pulling you back. I think if, if Microsoft or any cloud provider stands still, I think they'll lose their competitive edge very, very quickly. Okay. Uh, I, I also think, um, you know, we're, we're seeing natural change. Uh, I was um, I was thinking about this. I was at Ignite just last month talking uh, about Microsoft Teams, and I was going to start my presentation with how to learn to love your nightmares, because. I think continuous development is a nightmare for so many people, but actually, without it, you can't remain competitive. So if you keep resisting it and resisting the change, then you yourself are going to fall behind. So it's a case of working out the best way to manage it effectively and securely to your company. And I think we've, we've found that process now. And so once you find it, it's actually very quick and, and fairly pain-free. And it, it's indirectly forced us to collaborate with people perhaps outside of our, our natural ecosystem, you know, whether it be someone on your floor or in a department that you know, we're, we're talking transatlantic all the time, we're talking to different brands that perhaps we acquired very recently, getting conversations going and collaborating with different minds and I think continuous development has indirectly done that and so for me that's a, a huge win. Okay, and, uh, and in terms of um, sort of what, you know, we've, we got, I'm assuming there's, there's some people from Microsoft listening now. So um, what's the top of your technology wish list uh, to make sort of collaboration across your, your business even easier than, 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 it, than you know, the technology's made it so far? It's, it's something that I think a lot of people are shouting for. Uh, it's, it is feature parity and Max. You know, we are a huge Mac house. We're 30, 35% right. uh, Max. I think they've had a tough couple of years, if not maybe a bit longer. Uh, and I think we're, we're, we're talking about a, a host of capabilities and we shouldn't be talking about a specific audience that can consume those. Yeah. Uh, if we want true collaboration, we have to have feature parity. Uh, a, a series of features have dropped this week in a number of apps and they aren't available in Macs and we just hear it yet again, oh, this isn't here. <laughs> um, and it's just a conversation that today I, I don't think we need to be having. 
uh, and so from my perspective that that would be something that I okay I would all right um, and now uh, you mentioned uh, j just before that you were at uh, Microsoft um, Ignite, Ignite event um, which was in Florida uh, you know last month um, having attended that and from being here at, at Future Decoded uh, what's excited you the most in terms of trends or technology that you've seen or heard about there's, there's two things I think the first would be AI I you know we can't get away from it it has been around um, for a long time, but I think now what we're seeing is it, it's really coming to the fore in, in the workday, in the workplace, in, in business. Uh, I, you know, it, it's not new. Uh, Bill Gates is talking about AI in '95. <laughs> it's it's not new at all. But what we're seeing is it's now here. It almost feels like it's physically here. You've got voice recognition. You've got facial recognition. We've We've seen mixed reality, you know, at the keynote at Ignite, we saw the HoloLens with Ford and engineers and how it entwined with Microsoft Teams. And I think now you can see it live, you can think, okay, well, it's actually here. And I, I know it's here now because I was speaking to a friend the other night and she's a self-proclaimed uh, technophobe. And she said, uh, I asked her, do you know AI? Do you ever use it? And she said, no, I don't use AI. I don't know what that is. And I said, uh, have you ever used artificial intelligence? She said, absolutely not. That's not, I'm not tech savvy. And what's funny is I know every morning she asks Siri <laughs> what the weather is today. Right. So for me, that's funny. And I, I think as well, the future of AI is hugely exciting. We're, we're looking at, you know, AI doctors and, and reducing the time that you're waiting for a, to see a doctor and the amount of patients that could be seen because of that. And, and city brain you know, in China, which I don't know if you've come across yet, is it's essentially using AI to monitor the whole of a Chinese city. They monitor the movement of people, they monitor the commute, the traffic flow, uh, they're monitoring robbers. And, and they've been monitoring them for a year. And now what we're seeing is they've been able to predict when a traffic jam might happen and recommend a different route. They've been able to see when crimes taken place and effectively find that person and the results of it have been so powerful they've reduced crime they've increased the flow of traffic to the point now that it's rumor has it being packaged up and rolled out across cities in china and you know perhaps coming to a city near you i think that's massive progress and that's something much more tangible than it was before sure. and the the second point on that is in the actual workplace where we're seeing it is you know the the announcement of intelligent communications where we've seen you make a call in Skype, for example, or now coming into Teams, and that's recorded in stream. So if you have that in stream, you can now use a little bit of AI. And if you're on stream plan two, you're losing face, facial recognition, uh, you're using transcribing and searching of timelines. And, and so suddenly, again, without person in the workforce even realizing they're using AI, they're using it. And so for me, that's uh, incredibly exciting. Brilliant. All good stuff. Um, Patience, Watson, uh, thanks uh, for talking to us today. Um, enjoy the rest of the year event. That's actually it for this first episode uh, from Microsoft Future Decoded. If you want to find out more information about any of the things that we've been talking about here, then you just need to go to the website futuredecoded.com. We'll actually be back with two more shows from this event on the topics of uh, technology for good and then innovations and technology trends. Uh, but in the meantime, don't forget you can listen to all previous shows of the series at csuitepodcast.com. Uh, plus, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn and Stitcher by searching for the C-Suite Podcast. And if you're on iTunes, please do give the uh, series a positive rating and review because that helps us up the business charts. Uh, don't forget you can also get involved in the conversation on our Facebook page and Twitter feed, which are linked from the website. And finally, if you want to get involved in the series yourself in any way, uh, then you can contact me on Twitter using at Russ Goldsmith or by using the contact form on the website. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.